Hey listeners, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations, where we believe that everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. We invite guests from various backgrounds to share with you what makes them unique. Our hope is that you and I can learn and grow together. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the honor to speak with Mike Montague. Mike is a game show host, writer, and public speaker. He creates a fun environment and wants others to succeed in their lives. So Mike, thank you for coming on today. I've been looking forward to this. This is something like we've been talking about beforehand. You're way more experienced than I am, and I've just been looking forward to this. But uh, I like to open up with this question, and it's something I like to ask all my guests, and it's what kind of motivated you to kind of start being a game show host, a writer, and a public speaker, right? Like what kind of got you down that path? Oh, that's a great question, and and thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have this uh, because I really enjoy intelligent conversations, but to answer your question, there's kind of two parts I've always seen to my personality, and my grandma called it creative nerdery. Uh, <laughs> when me and my brother and sister and our cousins were over at grandma's house, I think she was actually the inspiration for all creative nerdery because she introduced me to like Monty Python and Steve Martin and uh, writers like Dave Barry and other people that if you don't know who they are, just check them out. I love like the bare naked ladies because they can be smart, intelligent and silly at the same time. And I think that's what really makes it special. And if I had to describe my intelligence, that's what I, I would say. So even when we were little kids, we would do ra- fake radio interviews or, or radio shows, uh, mostly at my grandma's, but also at my house. We would, you know, have a race across the pool, and then I'd interview the winners and and interview my brother. Hey, how's it feel to be the winner? Feels great. Okay, we're gonna set up for our next heat. Uh, you know, we have Laura versus Trey, and uh, and we would just do fake shows and have a, a fun uh, time doing it. That I also found out I was kind of. Uh, gifted at computers. I guess that's kind of a weird uh, thing to say (laughs) or call yourself. But um, when I was in middle school, my mom won a computer in a radio station contest. And this is really going to date me, but it was in the 80s. So nobody had personal computers and you had to learn how to program them to run them. There were no, uh, this was pre Windows stuff on an Apple IIc. So I kind of figured out how to connect to some news groups online and we went and bought a modem and stuff. And I really gravitated towards that and and just kind of understood it and, and saw it as a way to connect with other people. But I didn't want to be a nerd and sit behind a computer for the rest of my life. So uh, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be on the radio and and be a radio DJ and entertainer. And uh, in college, that's kind of where I was trying to do a little bit of of both. Um, That led to some podcasting and other things. But I did get my own show on the radio. I did that. I was Romeo on Mix 93.3 in Kansas City and playing Kansas City's number one hit music. And... um, It was uh, a ton of fun, but that led to public speaking about social media. I wrote a book on LinkedIn um, that was picked up by LinkedIn themselves, and uh, that got me into the motivational speaking, which, if you're not aware, pays like six times what, uh, you know, the radio does. So (laughs) I had a... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was kind of the big transition and career moment. And now I do game shows and I do sales training and motivational speaking. But the game shows I found were super fun that they 
are kind of a combination in between where I can teach some stuff and I can do team building exercises and fun things, but I can also like share knowledge and kind of be intelligent with it. Even like a quiz show, right? Yeah. Like I see, um, like an Alex Trebek is a perfect example of like an, an a creative nerd, you know, somebody that has a playful intelligence to them and can be an entertainer and intelligent at the same time. So that was a really long answer. I'll let you ask a follow up <laughs> question now, but uh, that's kind of the genesis of it. That's, that's a phenomenal story. I, I like how you kind of walked us through that and shared every, like you had just specific details there too. That was something I think a lot, oftentimes people kind of just ignore like, Oh, these are the, yeah, I did this and this and this, but you really just dived in. And I had to actually chuckle a little bit at the, when you talked about how you would like, line people up for heats and then interview them after when they would win when you were little kids. I actually did kind of the same yeah. thing. It's kind of funny. We have this video. So it's, I have uh, four siblings and at the time there was only three of them were born. So I was about, I think like seven or eight at the time. And I had this camera and I, and I start videoing my siblings. I'm like, all right, we got to make this a fair race type of thing. And it's kind of funny what happened, but I told my youngest sibling, I was like, all right, you go type of thing. And she's going. And then it was to the fence and back type of thing. And she gets halfway. I'm like to my other yeah. sibling. I'm like, all right, it's your turn. You go. And she starts going. My other sibling starts coming back as the other one's like crossing like this. And then finally, yeah. as <laughs> I tell my oldest, uh, me not, she wasn't the oldest. I'm the oldest of all my siblings. I tell her, I'm like, all right, it's your turn. And then she starts going as the other one's finishing. <laughs> The funny part of this video, though, is like I start interviewing them, like kind of what you said at the end. And I'm like, how does it feel to win? Type of thing. And they're like, good. And just, you know, and their little kid voices. And then I, I even asked, I was like, how does it feel to lose right now? Like to be the last place right now? She's like, bad. Like just kind of things like that. It's just I just <laughs> yeah, find like it amusing that I that's just something we have in common there. But I think uh, I kind of have a question that I as you were talking to me through all this kind of the motivational speaker and radio show host. Why do you think that pays more than the radio host? That kind of actually surprised me. Uh, yeah, a couple of things. I think, um, first of all, I didn't, uh, really finish my, my joke either. So when I was a kid, I, I want, I didn't want to be the nerd and stuck in a room by myself behind a computer all day. And I got on the radio and guess what the job is? <laughs> sitting in a room by yourself behind a, a computer for six hours yeah. and you tell the funniest joke you've ever told and you nobody laughs they're all in their yeah. own cars and homes and stuff so uh, maybe one light you know red light flashes in the corner and uh, it's my buddy and he's like hey that was funny and i'm like all right i'm glad somebody liked that one you know and that was all the feedback that you got um, and so when I was doing live DJ stuff, I got the chance to open for Billy Idol and Frankie Valley and DJ in bars and clubs and weddings and all that kind of stuff. I found that I really loved the live part of it uh, as well. And I think there's something here in the to answer your question, too, of the value of it that. When it's pre-recorded or you're connected, disconnected from the audience and I'm kind of it's a free service that we're providing as radio the money is all generated by advertising and the huge corporations that own these radio stations. Now uh, I was in radio for seven years and I got paychecks from five different organizations hmm. and I was only at two different stations. So one station was bought and sold three times. The other one was bought and sold twice. 
And it was crazy. The huge mega conglomerates like Viacom was bought by CBS, who was bought by, you know, Turner Broadcasting or, yeah. or something. And they're selling these stations and they're taking all of the, the profits. So their goal is to pay people as little as mm-hmm. possible, really, to do the job. And especially when I was on the radio in the 2000s, it was kind of the birth of satellite radio and Internet radio and podcasting. And so um, things were sort of contracting in that that space as well. Now, when you look at public speaking, when you're doing it live, it's an intimate private experience for those people. And generally those people either pay to get in or a company pays for me to come and bring value to them. So when I'm doing something like sales training or social media training or even team building workshops, they could get a much larger return than what they're spending in me, even if they pay a thousand dollars an hour. I work with really large companies sometimes. And so somebody like an Uber or a, a um, Thermo Fisher Scientific or even HubSpot is a, a marketing platform. They're billion dollar companies. If we help their salespeople just do a little bit better, like 1% better is like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they can afford to, to pay us a lot of money to make a 1% improvement in their, their business. And so I think it's really about the value people, if people, you do something for free, even like the podcast that we do, the value is low because it's free. But when you start to have scarcity, when it starts to become bespoke and it's a show just for them that I'm writing custom questions in their game show, or I'm writing a custom program specifically for their salespeople, that is an investment of my time and something that they're more willing to pay for. I I have to agree with you on that, especially like it being live. I think we kind of all like during COVID and stuff, especially right. Everyone kind of, retracting we started doing the online stuff and we kind of realized like hey this isn't as productive (laughs) we weren't as productive as we once were because i i have to agree there's something with just actually being there that just improves the whole just atmosphere even yeah i work for sandler training that does sales training and david sandler the guy that founded it they were like, how can you charge $10,000 a day to come speak? And he goes, you don't pay me $10,000 for the day of speaking. I would do that for free. You and I love this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? Yeah. Like I would go and speak at your company for free. You're paying for me to like travel through an airport, do a whole bunch of prep and research on your company to go get sick, traveling to Chicago in the middle of winter mm-hmm. and, you know, to sm- spend time away from my family for three days. Like that's what the $10,000 is for the speaking is the fun part. That's the payoff that I I love doing. And I think that's the other thing that you kind of hinted on there is when you're doing it live, you're spending extra effort. Even if you're just driving across town to go do something, it's different. And and to me, I think more valuable to actually show up. And I would even touch on that and say that, especially like in the game of like social media and stuff, you have a wider audience, like people will watch it and it'll be like, oh yeah, like, what 20,000 other people saw this too. Or even in some cases, people are like millions of other people have seen this video. Whereas when you're actually there, it's like, maybe there's what 200, maybe a bigger crowd or something like that. But it's only you're there for those specific people type of thing. And it's more specialized, like you can actually talk to them. And yeah, competition is a big thing too. When you, when you think about kind of the the rest of your career, and when I make decisions about what I spend my money on, or what I and want to get paid to do the the other reason radio pays lower is a lot of people want to be on the radio. 
So I, I found a lot of people want that job, and they can always find somebody to do it. It's not, you know, really difficult mm-hmm. to do or learn how to do. But uh, very few people try and very few people stick with it, you know, long enough, kind of like being a stand-up comedian. Yeah. You have to really love doing it to get do it for no money on Monday night at an open mic to learn how to be good enough to get to the gigs that pay a whole bunch of, of money. And I, I feel like with public speaking, the live part is the same, right? If, if I do it online, and I do on uh, the YouTube channels or the podcasts, there's hundreds or thousands of other sales podcasts mm-hmm. out there. Um, Playful Humans is... Uh, very similar to it's kind of an interview show with people that that play for a living. And uh, there's obviously millions of other podcasts people could be listening to. My value has to be really, really great to get into that top 1%. Where if I'm showing up at your company, there may only be, you know, a few thousand people in the United States that do this, or I might be the only speaker that has this Mm -hmm. credibility on the certain thing. And then that becomes that scarcity makes it a lot more valuable. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, that's just law of economics right there too, right? Like, right. It's uh, supply and demand too, right? If there's too many radio hosts, like people wanted to go into that field, then you don't get paid as much because the demand is not as high. Or is if the demand's high, then sure, go into it. I think that's something everyone could do. So I, I kind of want to ask this, I think, so like just to kind of get, give you an idea of who my audience is, most of these guys are like are in college, right? They're kind of figuring out what they want to do. Like they hear all these things like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I go be an influencer. Or, oh, maybe I go investing or maybe I go in like all over the place, right? There's all these things, especially right on social media of people saying, hey, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. I kind of want to get your thoughts. How does one kind of get into that public speaking uh, space? How does someone actually... Uh, get into that space? Yeah, a couple of thoughts there. First of all is, number one, don't take advice from anybody <laughs> else, uh, which is weird because I'm not really going to give you advice today. I'm going to give you some things to, to think about and maybe question for yourself because, mm-hmm. um, I like I mentioned with the computers, I learned how to design websites in high school, which was not a big deal now. Everybody can pretty much do that. But in 1997, people were paying me uh, $1,000 to build a website or $50 an hour as a high school kid because I could do that. But that was 25 years ago. So... My, what me giving you advice of what I did doesn't really help because the world is yeah. completely different than it was 25 years okay. ago. So uh, what I would say instead is think about really what you love to do. Don't worry about what the world needs or or what's going to pay you the most. I, I found that there are several traps in, in that. The first one is Um, If you do what everybody else is doing, you end up with that economics model that you're not differentiating yourself from everybody else. If you do what you're great at and what you're special at, you kind of create this market of one where they have to pay you for being you and nobody else can be you better than you can. Mm -hmm. So you can get paid the most for that. Right. But if I try to be, you know, somebody else or an investment banker or an influencer like somebody else, those influencers started five to 10 years ago. And so they got a 10 year head start on you. It's going to be really hard to be like them because the, the industry and market and everything has changed. So for public speaking, I would say if that's really something you love and you're like, Oh man, I would love to do that. And regardless of of what it is, there's going to be some way to make that happen. 
So I've done a lot of different things in in my career. We've already mentioned a a ton of them, but like the live DJ stuff, hosting karaoke shows, hosting game shows, doing um, social media training, sales training. Uh, I MC and and DJ or uh, like host different events and uh, the podcasting. I've started an internet radio station uh, and that one did really well. I shouldn't have sold that one off to, to be honest with you. I think that was probably the most successful thing <laughs> I've done on my own. Uh, anyway, not for other people, but the short answer is if you want to get into public speaking, don't ever turn down a chance to be on a microphone. So I'm here on this podcast today because I'm giving away my expertise. I'm getting a chance to get better at what I do in public speaking, crystallize my thoughts. I get to learn from you and see what you're doing that I like and don't like. And I can pick and choose and add into my mix of public speaking. But it really is, I think, probably 80% the Malcolm Gladwell outliers thing. Have you heard of that? Yes, the, the 10,000 hours, right? If you can get your 10,000 hours in faster than other people by just always getting on stage in the microphone um, and recording videos or doing other things, the more you do it, the better you will get. And there's something cool about this business, too, that when you suck and you're brand new, nobody's watching and listening anyway. So you might get 10 downloads for your podcast and four of them were your family and, you know, the other six your mom sent it to on Facebook uh, and so nobody really cares. They all love you. They, they, they're going to think it's great and interesting anyway. As you get better, your audience grows with you. So then you can be really good when you have the larger audience later. And, and for me, I think one of the funniest compliments I get when I'm on stage is, oh, you're such a natural up there. And I, huh. every time I get that compliment, I go, no, not at all. <laughs> you didn't see my first one. You're seeing me after 5,000 performances. So, yeah, it looks natural now, but when I was in high school, I tried to do public speaking and stuff, and my hands were shaking so bad that, like, I was turning my hands white, and my hands were shaking, and the teacher was like, good Lord, like, Mike, uh, you pass. Just go sit down. She didn't even make me redo it. She was just like, uh, yeah, I don't want to torture this kid again doing that. Uh, but later I learned how to do a storytelling competition, and I practiced and practiced and practiced, and I figured out how to get good at that. And later, I think this was like less than two years later, I was winning competitions for storytelling. And I don't know why I wanted to put myself through that torture, but it was really about figuring it out. It, there's no natural skill there. Yeah, I I agree. I've actually read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. It's I, I honestly think a lot of people should read it because it kind of gives you a great idea of, hey, like if you want success, like you've got to first, I think one, recognize what's going for you too. Like, right. He mentions that in the book, like, Hey, there's just some things that you're just adding a disadvantage to begin with. And there's some things that you have an advantage with to start with. And I'm like that I have some advantages and disadvantages. Right. And it kind of just helps you uh, become self-aware of like where you need to be, where you want to take yourself. And I think that helps as well. And I, Malcolm Gladwell's books, a phenomenal book. And I mentioned that, and I, I mentioned that that's 80%. I think the other 20% is really finding your unique voice and all of the synergies that, that come from that. So when you do 5,000 shows, you're going to get better. You're going to run into opportunities and, and stuff. So 
Um, when I was doing karaoke shows, one of the people from the radio stations came in to the show. They had a great time and they were like, Hey, will you do a singing contest for us on the radio? Can, will you run the karaoke part so we can host it? I said, sure. And then I ended up parlaying that into the radio job and then the radio job into opening for Billy Idol. And then that into working for the advertising agency that sold to the radio stations. And then from there, I got up in front of chambers and other groups that asked me to speak about social media. And I wrote, got the book on LinkedIn that was picked up by LinkedIn that introduced me to the sales training company that I work for. And it's all of that networking and other synergistic stuff that happens from just doing it. That if I was sitting around waiting, trying to perfect my speech or uh, to wait until I was really good at it to do it in front of anybody else, it wouldn't have happened. It's by, through all of that practice that you meet the people that are going to introduce you to the opportunities and you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. So if you if you want, I'll tell you the story of my biggest failure doing this, which was the the Billy Idol gig. I, I got fired by Billy Idol live on stage in front of 5,000 people. Uh, I. I would love to do that, but could you first uh, kind of, I mean, this kind of, I guess, dates me too, but I don't know who Billy Idol is, so could you kind of... Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, could you kind of uh, give me like who who that is type of thing, and then yeah, I would love to hear your story. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because that would have been awkward if nobody knew who I was <laughs> talking about, but um, Billy Idol is the 80s... 70s and 80s rock star that did like Moni Moni and White Wedding and um, okay. Rebel Yell, some other ones. Like you can uh, check those out later. You definitely see. But he's got blonde, white, like spiky hair. He always wears like a black leather jacket and and jeans, and he looks like right. a total typical like 80s rock star. And um, okay. he was huge in the 80s, but when I opened for him, it was in like the 2000s. And so his opening act got sick and they called the radio station. We're like, hey, do you have anybody that could come out and play retro music? Because I was on the retro station at the time for like an hour uh, until Billy Idol gets up there. That way he doesn't you know, have to start the show at like seven o'clock. He can push it back yeah. a little later. And uh, so I got asked. I said, sure. They, we worked out the money and I, I met with Billy Idol and his manager backstage. They said uh, they gave me three things to to do on stage. They said, don't play Billy Idol songs because they're going to play those later in the night. It's mostly a rock show. So play rock music. But, um, you know, whatever you play on the radio, the other retro music and, and stuff is fine. I was like, perfect. I can do that. And you can imagine that the people at the show, the audience in 2000 were like all 40 year old soccer moms <laughs> because <laughs> they they loved this rock star in the 80s and this is now the 2000s so i was like okay i'm like 25 26 years old and uh i'm like i got this soccer moms love me i'm i'm thinking like all these cool old retro songs like jesse's girl or 8675309 like they're gonna love all this this 80s music and so that's when i start playing and the manager comes out and we said he says we said rock music like the rolling stones and that's when i panicked because this was again early 2000s there wasn't wi-fi i couldn't download more songs all i oh, had man. were the cds that i i brought with me and uh i don't know if you've thought about it much but when you go to a dance club how many rock songs do you hear uh, there's like two rock songs people can dance to. You shook me all night long and pour some sugar on me for the, the strippers. Uh, and that's about it. So I played those two and I bought myself about 10 more minutes and I'm about 20 minutes into this hour long set and I'm panicking. I'm flipping through. I, I find one Rolling Stone song. 
that was on a, a compilation disc that I had, and I played that. I was like, okay, I played three rock songs. I can probably go back to a, a retro song, and then I'll, I'll buy myself some more time. And I, I played uh, this old retro song, and just doosh, the lights come down, the music goes off. I have no control over anything on stage. I look over the side, and he does the cutthroat, you know, signs like oh. "You're done." And I did not uh, collect two hundred dollars. I did not pass go. I just packed up my stuff and and headed out the the back door. And the people from the radio station were like, "What are you doing out here so so fast?" And I was like. Well, here's the thing. Um, I just got can't. But I tell that story every chance I can get. Number one, uh, because I didn't get paid for it. So this is my compensation is to, to badmouth Billy Idol uh, every chance I get. No. And number two, that was the moment really for me that I became bulletproof as a performer. Nothing can happen on this podcast that's going to be worse than that. So I did shows on 9-11. I've been maced by police during shows because fights broke out and they missed the people fighting and they sprayed in my face. Um, I've had, you know, everything you could imagine happen now over thousands of shows. So nothing can hurt me now. You know, I don't care if people throw stuff on stage, heckle me, whatever. If I'm doing sales training, everybody wants you to succeed as a motivational speaker anyway because they don't want to go see a crappy show. They want to see a good show. So I've learned how to overcome all of that. And it really, I think the lesson here is that confidence doesn't come from winning. A lot of people think confidence comes from being good. I feel like confidence comes from failing and learning how to get over it. Because once you're that kind of resilient, nobody can stop you. I 100% agree there. That was, thank you for telling that story. I Now I, now I know who Billy Idol is and <laughs> I'll be sure to go check it out. Did you recognize at least some of, one of those songs? No, I I'm actually uh, 19, so I I was born in 2002. Yeah. So that's all right. I uh, I don't blame you. I blame your parents. Uh, you should definitely know who Billy Idol is. So okay. Ask them later. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them. <laughs> so yeah. Um. On the though the kind of the lesson you gave there though, I think 100 percent that confidence actually comes from the failures because. It's almost in a way where like kind of what you said there, it's, it can't get worse than this, right? <laughs> it's like, honestly, you're, you're so low. You're like, honestly, at this point, it's like, what do I have to lose? Like there, there's nothing. And you just, and I think just taking that step and saying, Hey, like we have nothing to lose. Let's just try it. Like, honestly, let's just keep going. Let's see what happens. And if you take that approach, I mean, your evidence of this, it ends up working in your favor because like you said, you start feeling like, hey, like I can do anything. It can't get as worse as this. And it can't get and it acts as a building block for a lot of like and growth. And it helps you actually level up. I think uh, this is something I actually talk about with my friends a lot. I'm like, honestly, as much as we all hate like struggle, bad times, that's actually where we grow the most because yeah. we learn, hey, this is where we suck. <laughs> Essentially, like this is where we're really bad or we need to perform better in our specialized field or specialized wherever we want to specialize. And that's ultimately how you succeed is and grow as a person is through the struggle, pain, all of those. Yeah. I really love that. I think it makes sense too. I heard a quote one time um, that winners fail more than losers do. And if you think about that, there's some old like uh, Michael Jordan quotes too, right? That yes. he, um, 
uh, he's missed more shots in the NBA than any other player in history. Right. Well, you're like, yeah, well, of course he has. He's taken more shots than anybody else in history. And so I feel like that same thing is true no matter what you're doing. The people that end up successful are the ones that are willing to fail more than other people and to take chances and to learn and grow and and play with ideas and do things that might not work. If, if you're waiting again for like all green lights in your career before you start down the road, that's not going to happen. Nobody that never lines up and mm-hmm. nobody ever gets all all green lights. You see the ones where people are successful because there's a, a survivorship bias. So you only see people on TV and YouTube where they're successful, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't see the ones like we talked about earlier with the podcast. You don't see the ones that they did that were terrible. The movies they made that flopped yeah. and stuff. Nobody saw them. Uh, so it's really funny, but that's where they learned how to get good. That's a hundred percent. And I mean, if you go look back, especially on some of those YouTubers or whatever that are famous and stuff yeah. and try and find those videos, like you said, they're pretty awful. They're garbage. Go watch some Mr. Beast early videos. Like they're <laughs> not great. Right? Oh yeah. They're, they're pretty bad. I know exactly what you're <laughs> talking about. And I kind of a uh, similar, there was a one instance and uh, I got thinking, so I, I had the chance to, when I first started the show to interview like the mayor and like of my city and stuff. And I was like freaking, I was like, Oh, this is a big deal. Like, this, this is awesome. Like, let's go type of thing. And I, I think just, I was so nervous that I forgot to switch to my mic right here. And I was like, so it was coming out of the computer audio. So I record the whole thing off of that. And I mean, for people that are in the podcasting industry or like deal with audio, you know, that's horrible. Like it was cutting in and out. It was the worst audio yeah. you could imagine. at least you recorded it though i've had whole ones where i just deleted or it didn't record and i just lost a, a great interview i had one guy actually do it three times with me and oh, i oh man the second time i almost didn't ask him again uh but i was like well we've done it twice now like i can't he'll know if it doesn't air uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, things like that happen and that's a lesson learned. Now you fix it, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. I'm going to make sure I have the mic and I'm hitting record and, uh, I fix these kind of glitches to go forward. Exactly. But kind of a, a little thing that I'm like, should kind of the question you're asking too, is like, should I publish this? Should I, should I go out? And I'm like, this is like the mayor, yeah. like, why am I doing this? And I'm like, no, let's go ahead. Like I send him an email before I'm like, look, the audio is going to be horrible. And I just published it. I'm like, you know what? You're going to look back on this, like, and this time frame, like, you're going to look back on this and be like, man, that was kind of funny. Like <laughs> you, yeah. you just messed up. Like you should have just plugged in the mic and like, come on, man. Like you messed up that. And I'm like, but also it kind of reinforces in your brain. Cause you don't want to mess up again. It's kind of like that. We want to be perfect type of thing. Yeah. Like that's as much as we kind of all like, Oh no, I want to fail. It's everyone wants to be perfect. And that's kind of what pushes us to be better. I'll give you one, uh, one tip though, since I, I've done a, a lot of podcasts is if you make sure the guest is recorded and the guest has good audio, then you're okay. Because I've had to go back and re-record all of my questions and everything that I said, because my microphone was messed up. Uh, or I didn't like it. One guest was really funny. I like an interview kind of conversational style like we're having. 
And I asked one question at the beginning and this lady talked for 45 minutes. I swear she did not stop. I did not ask another question for 45 minutes. And at the end I was like, all right, well, thanks for being on the show. (laughs) You know, have a great one. And I had to go back in and like, because she talked in circles and stuff too, like edit the whole episode, move stuff around, insert questions that I would, I ask every guest uh, and things to try and like make an episode out of it. But oh, man, it was, uh, it's crazy, but you learn all that stuff as you, as you go. That's a fun part for me. It's, it's those learning experiences, especially that really help and kind of a touch on this and then we'll kind of look to wrap up. I, I hate yeah. to do it, but one thing I like to use as well, is I don't like, I don't like the word failure. It's like, it kind of, in my mind, it's like, oh, like, that's it. You failed, like give up type of thing. But I like using the word setback more because it's like, hey, like you just got set back a little bit. Let's go forward. <laughs> like, it, whereas failure, it's just kind of like, that's it. Like the line's been drawn. You can't do this anymore. Yeah. I love lessons learned. I mean, you really either win or you learn from it, which I think is huge. And then the other thing that I was going to add to it is like when you are doing it, I think there's also something magical about doing it wholeheartedly, especially what you're doing in podcasting or uh, in public speaking, anybody that's thinking about any kind of performance. Think about like American Idol or one of these singing competitions like AGT. Uh, The people that fail even spectacularly sometimes get talked about more than the people that were good singers. Like what doesn't mm-hmm. work is being good and doing it half-heartedly because everybody can sense that. And they're like, Oh, well they can sing, but they're, you know, th- there was nothing special about it. Yeah. If you see something unusual, if you see somebody really fail big, I mean, some people like, you know, jackass and others have made careers out of doing just that, you know, they'll make train wrecks uh, and other influencers. But I think there's something about going at it wholeheartedly that whether you fail or you lose, you're like, I left it all out there. I did what I wanted to do and I went for it. But when I feel best or when I feel worse is when I wimp out and I'm like, oh, I didn't really give that my all. I wasn't really prepared. My heart wasn't in it that day. I didn't have it. Those are the ones that I'm really disappointed in because I can't do anything to go back and and change that part of it. I mean, this kind of leads into... I'm going to use this as the intelligent question of the day, but uh, how, like, especially like, I feel like some people, especially when they're starting out their careers and stuff, they kind of get, like you said, they kind of get down on maybe if they wimp out or just, you know, failure in general, they kind of just get down on themselves and really just beat themselves up. I know, especially when I was playing basketball, when I was younger, I would beat myself up over the smallest things. And I'm like, why now looking back, I'm like, why would I do that type of thing? But what would you say is kind of the best way for some of these people that are just starting out to kind of like bounce back? Yeah, a few things come to mind. Number one, I think, is that you have to love yourself no matter what happens and you have to separate who you are from the results. One of the things I really like to be in about on radio was I mentioned I had a stage name, Romeo. So kind of thinking of it as like an alter ego and being like, okay, well, Romeo had a bad show tonight, but Mike is still okay. Um, Some of the funny things are like you mentioned, even with basketball, when you get three years away from it, nobody cares. Uh, I can do a big show on stage and everybody will be paying attention to me for hours. And then I walk around the block and go to dinner and nobody has any idea 
who I am. That was another funny thing about being on radio is nobody knows your face. So I could be, you know, super famous and then walk outside, uh, at least locally and then, uh, and then walk outside and have nobody pay attention at all. And some of that really helped me get over failures or mistakes is that like, you worry about what other people think until you realize that they really are not thinking about you at all. They're worried about their own failures and their own mistakes and what's going on in their head. And the second part I would say to that is now that I'm, I'm older, I really appreciate you sharing and having the guts to, to challenge me on my, uh, my Billy Idol and other stuff, because what you forget is that like 25 years later, people are not even going to know who the, the worldwide star was, let alone the person who was their opening act. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well that day that seemed like a big failure for me has no impact whatsoever 20 years later, other than being a good, good story. And so I think you really want to focus on not having regrets. Uh, And so again, going at it wholeheartedly and doing your best. And then the success or failures are out largely outside of your control. That's a situation of uh, a lot of other complicated factors that, that you have no impact on. Everyone that's listening right now, that's the intelligent answer of the day. That's I, that's great. I think you kind of hit it right on the mark there. And thank you for taking the time to come on today. And I want to give you a chance, though. I mean, you've mentioned uh, Playful Humans. I don't really know what that yeah. is. How would, if like people want to reach out to you, kind of like learn from you, or like even like if a company wants to reach out to you and uh, hire you, What's the best way they can find you, reach out to you, learn more about you? Sure. I think the best website to go to is playfulhumans.com. Uh, that's where I do all of the entertainment stuff, the the fun kind of things. I also work for Sandler Sales Training. Uh, so if you want to get into business or you're interested in sales and, and leadership as a career, uh, then go to sandler.com. And since you're listening to podcasts, both of them have a podcast. So Playful Humans, I interview people who play for a living like uh, – people from American Idol or, or famous rappers or magicians and entertainers and people that do special effects for movies and, and some really cool, playful, successful people there. And then my other one is how to succeed, which is all sales and leadership thought. So specifically, if you're looking to grow a business, be an entrepreneur or um, manager or salesperson, then that one has over 500 episodes, over 2 million downloads. It does really well. Interview really um, forward-thinking thought leaders and and people that can really help you in your career for, for sales and leadership. Uh, last thing I, I would say is I'm happy to help anybody that, that needs it or, or ask for it. So I don't like to, uh, you know, give free advice or it's really hard to tell somebody else what to do because I don't know your situation or, or what you have going mm-hmm. on. But if you want to talk more about it or you'd love to uh, have a game show for your family, your work or, or whatever, uh, would love to do it. Reach out to me at playfulhumans.com. And there's a fun BuzzFeed style uh, personality quiz on there too, playfulhumans.com slash quiz. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you for coming on today. This has been a pleasure. So everyone, that is Mike Montague. As you can tell, he's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. He dropped his information there for you guys to reach out to him and check out Playful Humans and how to succeed. I challenge you guys to do that. If that sounded interesting to you guys, I would go ahead and do it. Stay tuned till next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys again. See you guys next week. And let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. 
Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.